uh, okay. Tom Rotter, I had something to say that I specifically was wondering if you had any thoughts on. And that is that when I'm um, just relaxing, right, and I, I can remind myself, oh, just relax. I'll focus on the sensations in the body and the breathing and just be really, 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 really present. And um, then like an unwholesome thought will come up or whatever, but I'll just keep reminding myself to relax. And so I've noticed that I'm kind of going in and out of these two kinds of practicing. One kind of practicing is just, oh, relax now. Oh, just relax. Just enjoy. And the mm -hmm. other kind of practicing was kind of like, you know, like not being at war, but kind of being in the arena, like, oh, an unwholesome thought. Okay, replace it with wholesome thought. Oh, more wholesome thoughts. Okay, capitalize on that. Okay, great. Okay, replace that with wholesome thought. Okay, breathe. Enjoy that. And what I've noticed is that with the relaxing, there's not as much intense joy, but there's just kind of like a more of like a calm disposition and kind of like a, a relaxation. But um, the disadvantage Why to is that, there a but? Why is there a but there? Let's go back and redo those two things for just a okay. moment. One is, okay. is that you have a relaxed joy and then an intense joy. Yeah. Okay, the Pali word for that is pity and sukha. One is a skill to be developed, and the other one is a skill to be developed. So that should make perfect sense there. What I'm noticing is that when I'm in the relaxed joy, it's easier for unwholesome thoughts to like grab me, I guess, All right. grab my attention. Now they, so you can see that. Congratulations. Yeah. You don't have to make anything a problem or make anything a worry. This okay. is just a natural process. Okay. This moment is all you've got. Yeah, it's just sometimes I just don't know what to do. And then I know there's I nothing know, to do. That's the whole but relax. You keep getting confused about there's something to do. I know. It's like, ah, you know, it's like a slippery eel sometimes. That's how it feels. There actually, it is exactly that way because there is no eel. <laughs> and here you are grabbing and thinking that you're holding a slippery eel and it slips away where, in fact, there's no eel there. <laughs> I know. I know, man. It's like, I don't know. I'm just I'm just practicing as much as I can and every moment I can remember. You don't have to practice as much as you can. Practice because it's fun. Practice I because am. you enjoy it. I, I am. I am doing Well, it. as much as you can sounds like that you're reporting into the principal's office. <laughs> No, I'm just dedicated. That's all. I, I just care about practice. Okay. Well, let's leave the dedication off and start using enthusiasm instead. That that whole idea of dedication, that's a very, very Western concept. And it has sneaked into deep big time into both Hinduism and in um, Buddhism. Um, 
that in fact, uh, Goenka even teaches a thing called strong determination sittings. And listen to that word determination. Yeah, I don't mean it quite like that. I, I do mean enthusiasm. I think enthusiasm right. can Let's be an expression of dedication. Let's use those words, enthusiasm. Okay. All right. And you don't have to do it all the time. That's one of the things also, because that's that's very time oriented over a long period of time. And what we're practicing here is something that we can do in this moment. We practice what we could do in this moment, OK? And so uh, basically we can remember. In this moment. But if we plan to remember all of the moments, then we're going to be that bound for being disappointed. Let's not yeah. try or work very hard at it. Let's enjoy the fact that I can remember to feel good right now. <sighs> Sorry, they're a little in the bottom. <laughs> I remembered. Wowee, this is great. Ooh, this feels good. <laughs> yes, you're not going to be in Nibbana all the time. Mm -hmm. Not going to happen. Mm -hmm. But the question is, are, are you going to remember from time to time? Mm -hmm. Are you going to remember at the time when you really need to remember? Mm. That's the important point then. Okay, let us say that life is very much like Murphy's Law. Anything that can go wrong will go wrong, and it will go wrong at the worst possible moment. That's why we want to develop sati so that it will be there for us unremitting, which means it will come back for you when you need it the most. Mm -hmm. That's when we need the sati. We need it when we need it the most, and we don't have to have it developed all the time. An example of that would be when we need it the most would be um, <clears throat> that uh, somebody just fell off the porch. Another time would be uh, uh, you break up. Break up with your significant you, you, other. Uh, another time would be when you uh, put your credit card on the Internet and it's canceled. That would be a moment of. Now I need sati right now. Another one would be you're tooling down the road in your car and you and the interior of the car starts to have blue and, and red flashing uh, reflections of lights while you hear a siren behind you and you look in the rearview mirror and there's a cop there, okay? That's when you need sati. The wife comes in from uh, her job and she enters the room. That's a time when you need sati. When you open the, the bill from the electric company, that's the time that you need sati. This is the, uh, the way of thinking about it is, is that there's points of time that we need sati. When are those points of time? That point of time is when you're really most likely 
to go off into bad feelings. <clears throat> that if you're already in an okay state, there's nothing wrong with it. We need to keep those okay states going. So anytime that there is um, uh, a point in time when you need sati, then it would be useful to have it right then. For that reason, we want to practice building up that skill of sati. Yes, Joe, you got a question. Yeah, it, it's related to this. Uh, I, I had a moment today where I, I actually I opened up a uh, thing from the government and I had filled out some forms wrong and some application had screwed up. And uh, I knew that this was a moment where I was needing the sati, but there was some momentum to the feeling, uh, the panic of, oh, shit, I really screwed up. Um, and I just wonder, because there was part of me that was like, okay, I, I, I realize I'm being mindful right now um, because this could like, could go poorly. Um, and I, I, I just wonder how, how should I have handled the emotion, the, the like emotion that was rising that was quite strong. I, I tried just being aware of it and continuing with it. Um, All right. Most people will kind of bull through how they feel. And what I mean by bulling through how they feel is, is that they will pay more attention to uh, the piece of paper than how they feel. Or if you um, see something on the paper that's an emergency, many people will immediately rush to their computer and log on to see what they can find about it online while their heart is thumping, right? <clears throat> the better thing to do is to pay attention with our sati to how we feel. That nothing is such an emergency. I mean, if it came as a letter, it couldn't possibly be an emergency. So why do I have to feel like it's an emergency right now? Mm -hmm. And I, so I felt... I felt like uh, I, I kind of came to that where I was like, okay, it's a letter. I can, I can just take this slowly. But the feeling sort of stayed for quite a long time, um, and I, it was kind of like, okay, well, should I deal with this anyways now because uh, I needed to call somebody? Should I deal with this anyways, even though I'm continuing? I, I'm aware that my heart is beating a little bit fast. All right. The answer to that is no, it is better to take care of business when you're in the best possible shape, not taking care of business because you feel like it's an emergency. Okay. Okay. That in fact, uh, we can use that word emergency because things emerging, they come up. The emergency is always within, not outside. Okay. Uh, uh, emergency medical things, emergencies like that in the sense of uh, they race to uh, the scene of an accident. This is the mentality that we have is that we have to race to the scene of the accident for emergency whatevers. And we can change that attitude if we can remember to change that attitude. This is where the sati comes in. So you could say something like, Wait a minute, let me sit down and take a few deep breaths and watch the heartbeat mm. slow down. 
And when the heartbeat slows down and I'm taking a few deep breaths and beginning to say, hey, I can handle that. I can handle that power company. I can handle that government. I can do this. Yeah, I screwed up. So what? No big deal. Nothing is worth worrying about. Nothing is worth clinging to as I me or mine. So when you get yourself into that kind of an emergency, the best thing to do is to remember, oh, I don't have to feel like this. This is just an old habit. Let me just sit down and uh, we'll be okay. And so we start having some wholesome thoughts. We can take care of this. There's no problem here. Everything is going to be all right. Everything is fine. I can take care of that government later. You hear that winner's attitude in there. I can handle that. I can take care of that government later. Right now, I've got much more important things to do, like getting myself into a really good state of feeling good. And when you say that you can deal with that later and put it off and get it out of the moment, now you can come back to a state of homeostasis and feeling good. And then you can grab that letter and look at it again and feel bad again. And so you set it down again and say, never mind. Let me get myself back into a really good state. It may take you three or four times of picking up that letter, but eventually you're going to pick up that letter and say, hmm, there's nothing to it. <laughs> but you actually have to practice. So that's a good uh, meditation object for you. Uh, or let us yeah, say it's trigger. Yeah, I can tell it. Yeah, because it, it, it triggers me just thinking about it a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> I imagine everyone on the video right now is as remembering some piece of paper that they got triggered with and are triggering themselves all over again. <laughs> yes, uh, even routine things will trigger us. An example of a routine thing, they don't do it anymore, but uh, up until in the middle of the um, uh, <clears throat> Trump administration, the Social Security required every <clears throat> recipient of Social Security to fill out a form once a year. Except that that form that they, fill, that they have fill out once a year, they mail it to you and then you have to fill it out and then send it back to them. Well, Thai Post and the U.S. Post are not that friendly with each other. And so um, uh, there was one year when I didn't get it. And because of that, they stopped sending the Social Security checks. Panic mode, right? <laughs> no, it didn't matter whether I panicked or not. The point is, is that I went online, found out what form there was to be filled out, filled it out and sent it in to them. And then they picked it up after two or three months and sent all the money all at one time. So it wound up being a surprise. So instead of missing two months, we wound up having a third payment that was triple. There was never a problem. There never was. But the panic about missing that one piece of mail and it was just routine it was just a routine thing nothing important until the human mind wants to make it important in fact everything that has ever been important was only because some human being thought it was other than that nothing's important 
not in it's not inherently important. Inherently, nothing has any meaning. Hang on, Alex. Let me finish this one thought. And that is when the Buddha is teaching the concept of anicca dukkha anatta and talks about it from the perspective of uh, anicca vata sankara and um, uh, anicca dukkha, uh, sabbe dukkha. Uh, uh, all dukkha is uh, sankara. But sabe dhamma anatta, in other words, all things are no self, which means that all things have no inherent core. Now, the physicists have taken that all the way down to string theory to see that there's nothing left but just strings of vibrations. And they call it strings because that's what humans think of as vibrating like on the violin or a guitar or something, vibrating strings. No, the reality is down at the quantum level, it's just vibrations without even the strings. The strings in this case, when we talk about a string theory, we're giving it back a self, the string. The string is not there. The only thing that's there is the vibrations of self. All right, so when we realize, like from that perspective, nothing has any meaning anywhere. All importance, all meanings, all values are simply thought forms for humans, concepts. Nothing really inherently matters. And that is freaky for some people to understand that all meaning is what they give it. <clears throat> what is the meaning of life? The meaning of life is whatever you want it to mean that you're the one who is applying meaning to things, but if you don't apply the meaning to things, then nothing means anything. And that's where the liberation comes, is when we drop putting meaning on things. We stop using that as a ball and chain. If it's got power, if it's got meaning, if it's got importance, that means that it's got some sort of self to it that we want. So if we see that there is no self in anything, that means there's no inherent um, uh, existence in anything. And that everything is just a sum total of stuff that's put together and stuff that falls apart. And so uh, things like meaning and purpose in life, these are things that uh, have been put on by humans basically for one human to control another person. These are all power plays. If we can give you, if we can tell the child that this is, it's important that he clean his room, he'll clean his room. If you tell the child, oh, I don't care whether you clean your room or not, it's not important, then your child is unlikely to clean his room. Now, if we understand that some things then are important, that we can choose what's important, and one of the things to choose that were important would be that these are the things that we worry about because it's important. So we worry, we give it energy. But if you're recognizing that, oh, it's, it's only important because right now I think it's important. 
And so I'm worrying because I think something's important, but if I recognize right now, right now, it's not important. At any particular moment, it's not important. That means that when you do it, you can have fun with it because it's not important. It's just a toy to play with. And then you have a happy, easy life because nothing matters. You've probably heard the phrase, mind over matter. If you don't mind, it don't matter. And so this is what mindfulness is all about, is to mind or pay attention to what we pay attention to. If there's anything then that's important, it's important then to look at what you're doing. That's what's important. Just look at what you're doing. And if you're worried, you can say, oh, that's not important. <laughs> okay, Alex, you got a question? Yeah. Um, so I noticed like in some moments I'm getting into a good state by deliberately like seeing the unwholesome thoughts and replacing them with the wholesome and then congratulating myself for having more wholesome thoughts and feelings. And then that gets into a good state, right? I start to feel good. But then there's also when I just relax and don't deliberately do any of that other stuff and just relax. I but what are start, you doing? I kind of start. What? What are you doing? When I'm relaxing? Yes. What are Relax? you doing? Um, well, what I'm doing is I'm focusing on the the body and the breath and just like being present, like holding it like an object. Okay. So when you're relaxing, that means you're not trying to follow some program or set of rules or something. You're just relaxing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Congratulations. Thank you for finally yes. listening. Yeah. And that's what I've been doing today. Oh, okay. And so my question was, um, when you say, when you talk about getting into a good state, like it occurs to me, like those two are different, like relaxing and like getting into a good state are different. Um, hey, Sean, is that a you... new rule? <laughs> oh, come on. Don't bring him into this. I'm asking Joe, you. Is that, a, is that a new rule that he just made? That was a question. Uh, it's, it sounds like, like a, a little bit on, on towards the unwholesome, I would say. But I've had similar thoughts uh -huh. myself okay. so I can recognize it. <laughs> All right. Just relax. Yeah. In other words, when you're relaxed, why are you judging that relaxation against something else? Mm. I don't know. It's just because relaxation didn't exist to me, really. The, the notion of, like, actually relaxing didn't exist to me as much as it does now because um, of last night. But before last night, our conversation, Domorado, I've just been deliberately getting into a good state. But I notice now that when I relax, it also gets me into a good state. It's just kind of different. And 
Okay. I don't know. So what? I, I, I guess, I guess the, the prescription here is that there is no prescription and that you just want me to stop sharing my thoughts because they're not helpful to me is what it uh, sounds like. Yeah, right. The, the thoughts are not helpful to you. They, they're basically, you're trying to get it right. Hmm. Okay. okay. Uh, that that in fact, if the if the old man says don't go south, go north, and you turn north and you start going north, and you're saying is this exactly north? Maybe this is one degree off. Maybe it's two degrees off. Am I sure I'm going north? And he's just talking about a general direction north. He's not talking about a specific one degree point north. This is what you're trying to get exactly right, where in fact, there is nothing exactly right. You're trying to actually, going back to what we were talking about before, with the idea of purpose. What's your purpose? Alex, what's your purpose? I don't have a purpose. Good, finally. Now that you have no purpose, then you can stop judging the relaxation and just relax. Okay. okay. So that's all that's all that's going on? That's what you think's going on. I'm just judging it. Yes. So. Very judgmental. Trying to get it exactly right. When there's no need to try to get it exactly right. But you never will get it exactly right. And if you do, it will waver off of that just a little bit. And then it's not exactly right again. I feel like you I need completely a lot underst- of wiggle room in here. I completely understand what you're saying, and I'm completely confused, but that's OK. All right. Uh, drop the confusion. You don't need it and just relax. You don't have to relax and confused. You can just relax. Drop right. the confusion. Recognize the confusion as a hindrance. Because this is very simple. Relaxation is simple enough. I mean, how can you get confused over being relaxed? David. Oh, yes. Well, if it was simple, everybody would be doing it. Just saying. It's not that simple. Uh, You're trying to make it hard. It is simple. But you have to keep doing it over and over and over again. What makes it hard is you think it's going to stick. And it's not going to stick. You have to keep putting it back into place. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I was just going to uh, bring up maybe because like before when we were talking about getting into like a good state, it was sort of in contrast to, okay, when you're opening up like that mail from like the government or what have you. And it's like, oh, right. There's that anxiety or whatever right so there's like hindrances there essentially right so that's really more the absence of those right the the hindrances mm-hmm. right? right like so it's not it's not like uh you're trying to go deeper or whatever it's more just being like you know you get back to that contentment and um satisfaction and oh this is you know relaxation is good enough but like again that's in contrast to you know, the hindrance, like being under the hindrance of, oh, no, my, you know, I got this and now I'm going to lose my house or, or whatever, wherever it might go. But this building up. So it's more mm-hmm. just getting yourself 
out of that and spotting it, not like this huge comparison once you're in the wholesome, right? Per se, yeah, where you're like judging that like, and it's like, oh, but it should be more wholesome to the point where it's like antithetical, where you're just like, this is never good enough. And you're just going and going and going and never satisfied, right? Mm -hmm. Is that, yeah. Yes, the whole quality is um, just, <clears throat> the basic point is satisfaction. That's what we're shooting for. In order to be satisfied, we have to be completely free from any fear. Hello, Robert. Welcome. And as long as I see Robert, hello, Damadas, I see you too. Good to see you. I don't know if you can hear me. How's it going? Everything is okay. Everything is fine. No awesome. worries, mate. <laughs> So um, let's go back, uh, DJ, and visit the, the hindrances for just a mm -hmm. moment. Uh, because many of us cannot see the distinction between what is a wholesome and an unwholesome thought. For instance, uh, we are worried about, am I doing the practice right? That mm -hmm. is an unwholesome thought. Because if we're worried about, is this the right practice or not? Of course, it's not the right practice. Why? Because we're in a state of worry. But the point is, is that uh, we keep thinking in our society that we got to have more information and more information and more information and more and more and more and more. To where really what we're looking for here with this practice is just enough to get us going. OK, that's all we need is just enough to get us going. So you could say like this, that um, in in order uh, to do this particular job, the child needs just this much education and nothing more. The child does not need a law degree in order to draw a little flower and uh, and under it says, I love you, mommy. OK, that's all that we need to do is just to have enough skill to draw a little flower and say, I love you, mommy. We don't need any more skills than that in order to do that job. So uh, the meditator, all he's got to do is just to draw a little flower in his mind and say, I love you, mommy. That's all there is to it. But we think, oh, no, I've got to read a book called the Abhidhamma. I've got to read a book called the Vasudhaga. I've got to read this, that, and the other thing. I've got to go take these classes. I've got to go this, that, and the other place and pay $7,000 for a teacher certificate. And then I could draw a little flower and put under it the caption of I love you, mommy. Well, guess what? Most people who have those kind of degrees have spent all those years not drawing any flowers and not saying, I love you, mommy, because they're too busy getting an education so that they could do it. And this is very typical in Western Buddhism is, is that you think that you've got to know everything in order to get started. Where in fact, no, there never was that much to know. That in fact, I uh, it's due to the teachings and the teaching uh, years ago um, 
actually is uh, way, way back when, that uh, when a, when a uh, teacher is getting ready to give the students a lesson, that teacher really does need to know that material that he's going to give those students. So at the end of the, uh, the semester, the teacher is probably going to know just a little bit more than the students. In fact, you would expect him to know a lot before he started. What he really needs to know is how to learn. So uh, all of this background that you hear about all of these various sutras that we're putting together and all of that, none of that was really necessary. But it's useful in teaching, but it's not necessarily all of that useful in practice. That I don't sit there and read sutras or review them or whatever like that when I'm just sitting and relaxing. When I'm sitting and relaxing, there's really nothing to do. There's no studies to be done. There's no worrying to be done. There's no uh, new information that's needed because we've got everything we need, which is very little. That the, I remember a, a very long, about three hour conversation that I had with my friend Achandama Bitu over on uh, the other island. And the whole conversation was basically between the two of us about how simple and how small the entire teachings of the Buddha really are. There's really nothing to it. Besides the joke, I mean, all you have is just Dukkha Naroda, Dukkha and Dukkha Naroda, and everything unpacks from there, which means that you can pack it right back up to that in this present moment. Any hindrance that comes by, throw it out and just be here and relax. That's all there is to it. It's a simple switch. Are you going to feel good or are you going to feel ordinary? Alex, go ahead. Yeah, so I'm I'm relaxing really deep right now. And I noticed that there's sometimes uh, really strong energy, like jerks and sensations going through my body. Oh, I was well, curious. I know that feeling very well. In fact, I've been a jerk off. <laughs> Is that normal? Uh, yes, it's absolutely normal. Don't okay. worry All about right. it. Okay. It, it, it makes it hard sometimes to enjoy it. It's a little uncomfortable, but no, it's okay. No, you decide not to enjoy it when you see the jerk. Instead of, aha, I see that too, and just let it pass. Don't worry about it. Okay. All right. And my body, it feels like my body is buzzing right now. Okay. It's crazy. Well, it's like it does buzzing everywhere. Energize. Yes. When you take deep breaths and do the correct practice, that's the buzzing you feel. Uh, but the word buzzing is, is not as possibly good a word as we could use. I would prefer the vibrating. Uh, how about vibrantly alive? Yeah, it's uncomfortable, Vibrant. but it's really it's really cool too. It feels good. All right. When you say it's uncomfortable, that means that it's not familiar. Yeah, it's yeah, it's pretty it's pretty intense. All right, but <laughs> if you keep practicing, that's going to be a normal state that you can actually energize. It's pretty nuts. <laughs> Yeah. Well, it's called the human body, and sometimes you feel like a nut, and sometimes you don't. <laughs> okay. 
I just noticed like when I relax deeper and deeper, it gets the energy gets more intense. Mm-hmm. Yes, it does. Congratulations. Yippee Kai A. Woohoo. Nothing to it. Nothing to it. Nothing to it. Everything is easy. Everything is okay. Uh, but the home the normal human mind that's trained in our society is trying to get it right. Hmm? I mean, every time that you drew a letter of the alphabet, somebody came by and complained, oh, you could do that better. You could do this better. Nothing is ever good enough. And so we bring that mentality to our practice. (laughs) And when we begin to see that, oh, I've been hard on myself unnecessarily. I've been setting standards, setting rules that I can't even make and meet myself. Then, in fact, our society is full of rules. My favorite example is I've heard that the IRS has 80,000 pages of rules. That's just the IRS. That's nuts. Oh, my God. Well, that's what lawmakers do. They make laws, and they've been making laws for 200 years. Sometimes they have to make the same laws over and over and over again. That's the whole point about laws is is that they're trying to plug up all the loopholes when, in fact, it would be much easier if we had a society that was socialistic rather than competitive. That's the basic difference. And and, um, uh, because of the Cold War and because of the misuse of the word communism, and also because the right wing and the conservatives and the capitalists of the United States have made it a dirty word. We don't even look at the fact that what socialism means is people being social with each other. Have you ever been to an ice cream social? Yeah. Yeah. Is the ice cream social where the the great big tub of ice cream belongs to one guy and he's eating it all while everybody gets to cheer and watch him eat ice cream? If I'm there, yes. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, we have like little cups of custard. Right, well, everyone that, had and together. everyone gets some. That's the yeah. whole point of the social. Of course, but if you course. go to a capitalist ice cream, that means you got to pay for it. If you're going to get any ice cream. So um, if we begin to have, and that's the whole, also the idea of the song is so that we can share among others, this joy that we have. Rather than capitalizing on it. I mean, can you imagine that someone is giving a retreat, teaching people how to meditate and charges money for it? That doesn't make any sense. And yet that's the capitalist model that we have in the West. And so if we can think of it in the sense of having joy and sharing it with others, then that is the whole practice of metta. That's the whole practice of compassion. That's the whole practice of uh, uh, sympathetic joy is to have joy and then go around vibrating with that joy so that others can pick up on that joy and feel good also. And so we begin to change our mentality from a capitalist society, what's in it for me, 
into a sharing mentality of, hey, we're all in this together. Let's have a ball. Let's have a party. Let's have an ice cream social rather than an ice cream truck. So if we uh, live in our lives uh, looking at it from the perspective of social and sharing, then that means then that each one of us doesn't have to feel so importantly responsible for our own lives. That we're all in this together. And that we can share and help one another. But if we have a capitalistic point of view or a narrow minded point of view or an I me mine and I didn't get what I want to out of it, then the society that we live in is going to remain in conflict. It's almost as if that uh, the democracy is a formal definition of perpetual conflict. Now, the idea of, of uh, a democracy was is that we don't want to have one person in power because eventually we will have one very greedy, very bad person in power, and then we're stuffed because he'll want to take all to himself. And so what we need is two groups of people who are in power so that one at a time they try to take everything for themselves. And I don't see in that regard the value in democracy because it's just a perpetual warfare. Where the society is not intentionally trying to get along. In fact, our society in the United States is intentionally trying to make conflict so that people can take advantage of it. And so what we need is people who have the mindset that we can spread around our joy and our comfort and our uh, <clears throat> satisfaction with others so that we can begin to change the society's mentality. But we can't go change it by changing laws and rules and regulations. And that's the way that most uh, um, activists try to do. They try to activate to get people in power to do something new, to where in fact people in power are going to do nothing but make new rules and make new laws. We don't need rules and laws. What we need is friendship. This starts with our mind. Can you be friends with your own mind? Can you stop worrying? And you just give it a break and just rest. Everything's all right. Everything's fine. And we can come to a state of satisfaction. Everything is all right. No worries. Everything is easy. Taking a deep breath and letting it out. Just relax. Relax. No place to go. Nothing to do. And we keep practicing that way over and over again, and pretty soon we begin to feel that way. And then, just when we need it most, just in that time when the um, red and green and blue lights are flashing inside the car and the whistle or the siren is blowing, that's when we need to come back to this state 
of I can handle this, everything is okay, this officer's got a job to do, and I imagine he's doing it very well. I should congratulate him for doing such a good job. Domerado, I forgot to tell you that happened to me. <laughs> I got pulled over by a police car. It was like three weeks ago, and I thought about you immediately because you you give that example. And uh, he pulled me over, and I <laughs> the heart the heart started beating, and I was like, "Wait a minute, he's my friend!" Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he pulls up to the car. He's like. Hey, good evening. Do you know why I stopped you? I was like, hey, good evening, Officer Patrick. And I just like looked at his name. Oh, what can I do for you? <laughs> and he was like, well, one, you were speeding. Two, you don't have your sticker, your new sticker on your license plate. And there's some other reason. And oh, man, my insurance, like I, w- I went through the glove box and there was like papers shuffled everywhere. So like it wasn't convenient. It was not at all like organized. It probably looked like some kind of criminal. <laughs> and um, I was like, ah, uh, that was an unwholesome thought. But that no. was an unwholesome thought. That <laughs> was an unwholesome thought. That's what the cop thought. was thinking. That's the cop's thought. <laughs> but, um, but no, and I just kept throwing him out. And uh, a lot of really great stuff happened, actually. He went back to his car and he came back and he's like, so I'm going to let you go for three reasons. One, your birthday is the same day that my puppy was born. <laughs> Two, <That's rich. laughs> um, my, I think he said like my brother-in-law or something. His name is Pappas. So that would be bad blood if he did, if he gave me a ticket. And then three, um, I don't remember what the third one was. But it was just like, what? <laughs> what were the chances? Um, so I didn't get any ticket, nothing. That was awesome. Well, I would, when I'm talking about this story, very rarely would I say that it's unlikely for you to get a ticket. But here's the proof of it. If you treat the cop very, very well, he'll even invent excuses to not mm-hmm. give you a ticket. You're saying that he might have unknowingly invented excuses because of the joy that I was uh-huh. spreading. Exactly so. Hell yeah. That because was awesome. Think about his normal night. I mean, what kind of people does he normally stop that are all with their heart beating and racing and they're yeah. around and they're, you know, they're angry at the cop for stopping them and they're in panic mode and all of this emotional stuff is is upsetting. And there the cops are ready to shoot anybody because people freak out. You know, I just had this interesting insight that like no one likes feeling like they're the villain. But when you come up to someone in a car and they're just straight up scared of you, you have no choice but to fill those shoes. And that's uncomfortable. So they act like a villain in your perception and in theirs. That's so interesting. Huh. Ah, Robert, I see your hand up and I see the blue lights behind you. Are you talking? I hear I see your hand. He's muted. Okay, never mind. Uh, Can can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? Yes. Hello. Yes. Okay. Great. Yeah, this uh, reminded me. 
I was with a different a, a friend of mine. Don Murata will probably be able to guess as soon as I tell this story. And I was with him, and um, with a police with and a police officer pulled us over. He pulled out five hundred dollars and gave it to the cop, and then we just went on our merry way. So that's another way of making friends. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, that's right. It depends upon the bribe, not whether you bribe them or not. Is can, <laughs> can you bribe them with enough money? Yes. So it worked in this case. Way back when, so long ago that it's just you can think of it as another person, but I'll use the uh, the uh, uh, the pronouns of I, me's, and mine so that it makes sense. But there was one time because I was uh, sick in the hospital, I missed two weeks of class um, in um, uh, what is called spherical calculus which is a third degree level calculus. And so the uh, professor gave me an incomplete in it. Well, I was wanting, you know, to have a double major in computer science and mathematics, and I needed that credit, I thought. And so I walked into his office with $800. That's the amount of money that I could come <laughs> up with at the time. And he turned me down. And that incomplete wow. stays still on my record, and I'm very happy that he turned it down because I really needed that money. <laughs> <laughs> but it wound up that I still had enough credits uh, anyway, so even with that incomplete, I still got a double major in math and computer science, and so it didn't even matter. But that your 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 point about bribing it depends upon the bribe now if i'd have had eight thousand dollars he probably would have taken eight thousand dollars but eight hundred that was not enough for him to change a grade hmm. did you try the sob story you know oh i'm so passionate about mathematics i'd really like to pass <laughs> this course you know could you please give me like a you know just a passing grade that's all i need Uh, I don't remember that conversation, actually. It was a long, long time ago. Yeah. I, you Let, know, let's my, see, 30, yeah. 40, 50, 55 years ago. Yeah. yeah. So I don't remember any particular conversation. But anyway, yes, that's that whole point about, uh, but as Alex was praying, he gave this cop $500 worth of good cheer. There you go. That's worth a lot more. Right. So that's the way of looking at it. And that's not even dangerous. <laughs> offering right. a cop and not giving, offering him enough money and he'll bust you for trying to bribe him. You got to give him enough. And you don't even know is 500 enough. <laughs> right. <laughs> So yeah. the, the better thing is, is to make friends. So, but the point that we're making here is, is that we can put ourselves into a bad state at any particular point in time for no reason. That if, uh, um, let us say it this way, if you are in a family to where you have uh, a relative, that's a cop. An example of that was my grandfather was the constable. He didn't do very much in that town, but uh, 
But he did put the gold because there was a gold mine in the area and he put the gold on the train. That was one of the things that he did. But back in the 1950s, there was not much to it. But because of my mom's relationship with her dad, my mom saw every cop as uh, as an as an uh, uh, a happy relative. Right. Very few people see the cops that way. You can live in another kind of culture, and every cop is an absolute disaster. Right. Well, if you see a cop as an absolute disaster, he's going to make it a disaster for you. If you see a cop as very friendly, he's going to treat you that way. But we have to have that presence of mind to remember rather than to go into what we would call automatic pilot of being terrified about getting stopped. So congratulations, Alex. You had mindfulness when you needed it the most. I did. I did. So if you have mindfulness at the point of contact when you really, really do need it the most, then... You can handle any situation. So the next time that you get all confused about how to practice meditation, you can say, wait a minute, I handle that cop. I can handle this moment, too. Yeah. Confidence sure is nicer than faith. Mm. Yes, confidence really is a lot better than faith. Because you know that it works because you practice it and seen it. Where faith is, who knows? Ramarado, I'm curious to hear your thoughts. There's a famous, uh, uh, you know, philosopher, David Hume, you know, from yes. the 18th century. And he said that <clears throat> constant conjunction does not mean causation. You know, and what he meant by that is just because I know. you keep... Okay, got it. So what are your thoughts on his uh, observation? Um, Absolutely important that, in fact, this goes back to the teachings of the Buddha. uh, And look at the words we have, paticca, in the word paticca samuppada, that we normally in our language think of it as cause and effect. But a much better word to use would be conditioning. In other words, you can take raw lemonade and condition it by putting it some water and condition it by putting some ice and condition it by putting some uh, sugar in and you've got lemonade. Okay, which means basically we're watering things down, we're cooling things down and we're sweetening things up. We can do that with any lemons that we're given. Practice of Anapanasati is just that. Having gladdening of the mind is putting the sugar in it. Having Nibbana or cooling things off, that's putting the ice into it. And taking the importance out of it is watering it down. And so this is a way of looking at it from the perspective of that it's not a cause. The sugar does not cause lemons to become lemonade. That is not an actual causality, it's a conditionality. What's the difference? A lot. A lot. All right. Uh, um, an example of uh, 
you've heard about the domino effect that one domino hits another domino, which hits another domino. And we kind of think that that's the way that the mind works to where really what's going on is, is that things are conditioning rather than causing. Hmm. Can you talk a little bit about that? Like the difference between conditioning and causing? All right. The conditioning then would be that, um, that an unwholesome thought will condition the feelings, but it doesn't cause the feelings. That the feelings are just there and uh, they um, arise and are exhibited based upon their conditioning, but their causation is a much more, uh, let us say, DNA related thing that we do have feelings. And so uh, the kind of feelings that we have are then just merely conditioned. So, so are you saying three falls over in the wind? The wind conditioned the tree, but it was the root structures and all of that other stuff because a lot of the trees don't fall over in that particular wind, but one tree did. Why did that tree fall over? It wasn't that the wind caused it because if the wind had caused it, then the wind would have blown over all of the trees. But it did condition it so that other conditions with that tree were such that maybe the roots were bad or whatever. So that when that wind blew, the conditions then were correct so that the tree fell over. And this is the way that we can look at it this, this more clear. If we think of it as causality, then um, that's actually back to a rule-based system. That this causes that, causes that. And that we teach Paticca Sabupada in 12 steps, talking about causality of this step causes that step causes that step. And that's not actually a better way of uh, the best way of looking at it. A better way of looking at it is, is that um, that this condition that we're in was caused by several of the items on the eight uh, on the Petitra Samapada, not caused by just one. So an example of that would be when we uh, create an internal uh, image of something that we see on the outside. The example that I normally use is I see a tree. And when I say the word tree, you guys will each one picture your own tree in your own mind. And I guarantee that every one of those trees are different because you're concept. One will get a fur, another will get an indigenous, another will get a kind of a palm, uh, etc. like that. So um, <clears throat> that uh, when I said the word tree, the, my saying the word tree did not cause the tree to come into your mind. But it conditioned your mind so that you did think of a tree, but the tree that you thought of was some tree out of your past. And I so don't see, I don't get that. I don't get how causing and conditioning are different. It sounds like they're the same. Okay. Well, you can go figure it out. <laughs> okay. Here's okay. another thing. You hit your thumb with a hammer. 
the hammer, when you hit your thumb, you can say the hammer caused my thumb to uh, uh, be sore. But in fact, no, the hammer just conditioned your thumb to be sore. There were other conditioning agents. In fact, the, the, the structure of the blood systems and the way that your fingers are built. So that if you hit the hammer with a clay finger, that finger is going to be uh, hit and broken in a completely different way than your actual finger. Mm. Okay. Okay. Because there are other conditioning mm. agents in there. So you could go so far then as to say that the hammer actually conditioned my thumb to get bruised. To where, no, the bruising itself was something that happened inside of the uh, the, the finger itself. That there uh, were I other think, things yeah. going on that caused the bruise, not just this blow of the hammer. There was blood and blood vessels that were broken and all kinds of other things that were going on inside of the thumb that caused it, or that conditioned it. Did not cause it, but conditioned it. But you see that, that, that whole idea of cause inverse conditioning is built into our language so that we say causation all the time, where in fact really what's going on is conditioning, not causation. Hmm. Yes, Robert. Yeah, I think maybe another way that you can put this is, I think there's maybe two other ways, or two other ways you could phrase this. One is conditioning implies a span of time, right? So when you say, mm -hmm. you know, weight conditioning, you know, like weight training, like gaining conditioning for your body, that implies like a span of time over which pressure is exerted that strengthens your body in a particular way. But I think it also implies multiple different things going on, right? So you could say, you know, the conditioning of one's mind is due to a bunch of different factors. It may be working with the teacher, it may be therapy, it may be the environment, your relationships, etc. And maybe sati to remember. <laughs> yeah, sati, yeah. the breath. Yeah. Absolutely. And so conditioning implies multiple different things going on at once over a certain span of time, whereas causation implies a single moment in time where we're trying to attribute a single A that's causing a single B. That's and, really, uh, really excellent, Robert. Thank you yeah. for that. That that's that really helps that that whole time span kind it of does. thing. So if that's the case, then is causation just an illusion? No. Uh, yes, causation actually is uh, generally misunderstood. I wouldn't say that there are no actual causations. There are some things that cause other things to happen. Uh, but let us say uh, the teacher yelling at two kids and one of them cries and the other one burst out laughing. You cannot say that the teacher caused the kid to cry because she did the same thing to both kids and one of them laughed, but she didn't cause him to laugh, but she conditioned him to laugh and the other she conditioned to cry but there were other conditionings in there that caused the kid to cry mm. now maybe he yelled at at home and the other mm. kid is uh, uh laughing because he's got a, a let us say a, <laughs> a buddha in his family <laughs> yeah. Hmm. yeah um I, another way i've heard this described is like 
an emergent style of causation versus the typical A to B. You know, and by emergence, you know, what is meant is everything is interconnected because there is no self, there is no, you know, solely existing objects in a vacuum that aren't connected to anything else. So therefore, when something happens, it's due to many, many different causes or conditions, right? Um, and so there's kind of this emergence of phenomenon um, within our existence, within our reality. People lose sight of that. They like to say, oh, I'm mad because he said X. Mm. In fact, you were mad because of this whole emergence of all these different things happening, including your upbringing, their upbringing, the weather today, how hungry you are, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And that's how things happen, mm -hmm. is as this emergence of phenomenon. Excellent. Uh, Robert, what you're saying there is actually quite brilliant in the sense that um, causation looks like things are separate. This domino, this separate domino fell and it hit that other domino and these dominoes are separated. And then the second domino fell over and that second domino hit a third domino. Okay. That's the uh, the idea of causation. But if you look at it from the position of conditionality, as you were saying, there's a whole lot of factors that had to go into play for that one domino to hit the other domino. One was proximity. Another one is position. He could have felt that first domino could have fallen on that second domino that wasn't upright and didn't have any place to fall to. It was already falling over. Right. And so. Uh, you can see that there was a whole lot of conditions going on, including, surprisingly enough, gravity, because you can go do that domino thing up in outer space and you can push one domino and it'll just lay on the other one and it doesn't knock it over. <clears throat> so uh, there's a whole lot of conditionings going on uh, in, in that regard. And thanks for bringing that up, Robert, that that's an important point is, is that conditionality has to do with the fact that there is a whole lot of conditions that are interrelated, that we're all just kind of one. And that the, the, the difference then is, is that conditionality sees that oneness and causation sees it as duality. This caused that rather than conditionality is look at the interrelationship between this and that, like the interrelationship between sugar and lemon juice. That the sugar does not cause the lemon juice to become lemonade. We think of it that way, but really it's a conditioning. Because the reality is, is that it's the taste buds that are in the human mouth that is tasting both of those things in combination, giving it that particular kind of taste. And so uh, let us say that if you put the sugar in the lemon juice, but that's never drunk, then the then then it's not lemonade. That is actually lemonade when it's drank. Before that, it's just lemon juice and sugar. And so there's many, many little combinations of things in there. And when we understand Patita Samapada that uh, way is, is that these things condition one another rather than this 
causes that. That if we see it in this way causing that, then the sequence and, and Petitra Samapada winds up being very, very confusing for so many people. When you see it as um, um, uh, uh, conditionality, then we can see that, oh, ignorance conditioned uh, um, our ways of learning things, and then our ways of learning condition this particular moment when we see something. And so uh, the way that we perceive things also is part of that conditioning, so that the salayatana then is a sum total of a whole lot of things, not just one event after another, after another, like that. We can also see that the practice of Anapanasati is interrelated, interconditioning, rather than um, sati causes me to look, and looking causes me to see, and seeing causes me to discriminate, and discriminate causes me to change the mind to a wholesome thought, and that's the gladdening. And, and so uh, that cause and effect way of looking at it makes it rigid, judgmental, critical, and that when we see things as just conditionality and cause uh, rather than causality, just conditioning, then we can see things as a much more interrelated, nurturing situation. Yeah, I, I wanted to say that I see that now. Okay, excellent. Joe, you got your hand up. Yeah. Yeah, I, I just was reminded of a question I've had recently. Could I, I it's a little bit related. Um the word sati sampajanyo or sati sampajana. Uh how does that relate to sati? Because I, I was like reading about it a little bit and I heard it in a discussion and they seemed like similar, but I I didn't really get the distinction between the two. Uh, sati sam, uh, say, say the word again. I uh, sat, uh, sampajana, sati sampajana, uh, S A M P A J A. I, I can just put it in the chat so that way it's easier. <laughs> okay, sorry, I'm pretty uh, sure I know what word you're using. Okay. Um, the sati sampajana is just another uh, more complete way of saying sati. You can see this, uh, the sam in there is the, it means true. Uh, uh, and so you could say that uh, the sampajana is looking at or seeing the, the, the pieces as they fit together. The janya is actually the pieces, and pajanya means the togetherness. So sati pajana is actually seeing the way things are are put together, or another way of saying is seeing that conditionality, seeing the interrelatedness and the and the way that things are constructed there. That that's actually a very useful concept for us to understand the distinction between. Uh, cause and effect as um, dualistic in nature. And the cause and the effect means that that which is caused is different than that which is affected. But in the uh, Sati Sampajana, we're seeing how things are interrelated and interconnected with each other. 
that at one time as an exercise, I took the uh, uh, the 12 steps of dependent origination in order and then started putting feedback loops as to how they were related and interconnected. And I wound up throwing that piece of paper out because everything was related. <laughs> everything was interconnected and there was no reason to find one more important than the other. That if we feel a certain way right now, that will condition how we feel later. So that means that feelings are conditioning now uh, the uh, Sankara. Well, wait a minute. Sankara is number two on the list and, and feelings are uh, number seven on the list. How could you know you've got it backwards that way? Well, that's only when we see it from the position of the cause and effect. But when we see the conditionality, then we can understand that these things are all interrelated and that uh, the 12 steps are taught the way that they are just merely for the understanding of it. Possibly a good way of looking at that is, is that when feelings occur, I, I like it. The next thing that happens is I want it. And the next thing that happens is, uh, which is tanha, and then upajana, upadana, which means I got a habit of the clinging. Also, the next step is bhava, which is the becoming, and you can see the deep interrelationship between the liking and the becoming, and then the actual clinging is also the same thing as the self, because when the clinging happens, that's the self that does the clinging. If there is clinging, there is the, the idea of the clingor. So when we see all of this as conditioning agents, it really makes a lot of sense. When we think of it as merely causality, how then do you say that, um, uh, how does Upadana create becoming? And then how does becoming give birth and how does birth then give dukkha? The answer to that is these things happen really quickly and they're really closely interrelated with one another. So that the uh, uh, the actual uh, grasping or going out is the becoming, like the pregnancy, and then the actual attachment to it, the grabbing, that's when the birth of the self happens, and that grabbing is also the simultaneously of the dukkha that arises. So when you see Paticca Samuppada in relationship to uh, the interrelationships and the conditionality, it makes a whole lot more sense than when you see it as a strict condition or the uh, causation. I hope that this is going to be some useful to you when you begin to figure out your own mind, rather than seeing it as a step-by-step -step sequence of events as if it were a computer program, rather than saying, no, that this is much more like an analog computer where things are interrelated. Yes, Robert. Um, hi there. So, quick question. So, I was listening to a podcast today, and uh, Duncan Trussell podcast, which is kind of a fun one. And he had on a Tibetan Lama, and um, he asked her an interesting question. I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this, which is what is the value of Western psychology when taking Buddhist psychology into account? And he talked about a time where he asked Ram Das. For advice and Ram Dass said to him, go see a therapist. <laughs> oh, you know? I was going to ask you which Ram Dass, but I think I know now it was Richard Halpern. <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, he said, like, enough of the spirituality, just go see a therapist. Because he had been very spiritual, and he was a student of Ram Dass, and he just said, hey, just go see a therapist now. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I'm curious to hear if you think Western psychology has its place separate from the Dhamma, or if the Dhamma is just much superior, or if there's no need for Western psychology, or if there are certain ways in which it's more superior. I would say that we need to look at rich crackers and cheese. Okay. That rich crackers and cheese are better if you put the cheese between two crackers and do a combo. Or it's all, uh, the same thing as chocolate chips and ice cream. Right? This is the way that we're looking at it, that they can complement each other. And that the way that they would complement each other is that um, the the main thing that's missing in psychotherapy is the concept that the client has responsibility for cleaning up their own mind. In the idea of psychology, the client pays the therapist, and now the therapist who is getting the benefit of the money is now responsible for fixing the client. And many people go to a psychotherapist the same way we do. They would go to a medical doctor, expecting the doctor to do all the work. And so the main thing then that the psychologist has to instill upon the client is, is that I can give you the tools, but you're going to have to learn how to use these tools. And that would be the main difference of the teaching of the Buddha is, is that the Buddha is going for that practical point of it's up to individual each one to clean up their own mind it's not up to the psychologist to do it for them so that's the number one thing after that we can look at it from the perspective of that if people were doing anapanasati correctly and seeing unwholesome thoughts and replacing them with wholesome thoughts then what would be a psychologist perspective on that because many times the psychologist is not actually trying to get the person to change their individual mind they normally go or thought in this moment they normally go for trying to get people to change their perspective or to change their attitude and so they try to talk them into having a different attitude Rather than the way that the teachings of the Buddha goes is more of a step-by-step -step sequence in the sense of this present moment, you need to change this thought. And if you keep changing this thought over and over again, you will begin then to change the attitude quite quickly. So it is possible for people to practice both psychotherapy and meditation and make really, really quick results. Other people will see conflicts between the two because this one teaches this thing and that one teaches that thing and I get confused about which one is right and which way to go for it and then the student is not going to make any progress. I will also say that I learned a whole lot about myself when I was in psychology, but I didn't know how to change any of it 
until I'd gotten with Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa. Even with all those years of meditation, I still didn't get down to what really needed to be done. And possibly the one that's the most important one or the most obvious one would be a better way to say it was anxiety. Yeah, I knew all about anxiety. I mean, I even had it downwired that I knew why I got really anxious and uptight on Sunday evenings. I figured all of that out in psychology, but it wasn't until I was able to deal with the anxiety directly that I could do something about it. And so I would say that, yes, you can use psychology and psychotherapy and the Dhamma together and gain great benefit from both of them. You could also say that one will work without the other, but that's not generally the case. And now that I've gotten to psychology, I use a lot of psychology when I'm teaching the Dhamma because that helps the students understand the mind better than the ancient ways of the time of the Buddha. The way that the Buddha spoke, everybody already knew how the mind works with that kind of language. Now we live in a different world with a different kind of language that's, uh, let us say, highly influenced by psychology. For that reason, it's better for us to use psychology when we're talking about the Dhamma. But you were making a distinction between going to a psychotherapist kind of psychology rather than a Dhamma use of psychology. And if you think of it that way, then what is the job of the psychologist but to call someone on their crap? But what is it that a Dhamma teacher is going to do other than that's his job is to call people on their crap? That the students can make the same mistake over and over and over and over again away from the teacher and then make that same mistake over and over and over again in front of the teacher. If the teacher doesn't bring that up, then the student will not see it. An example of that is there's a big difference between feeling good and worrying about feeling good. But some people can't see the difference. And it has to be pointed out over and over and over to them. So the question is, is the psychologist and or the Dhamma teacher going to be honest with the person and show them what they're doing? And can he do it in a way so that the person sees it rather than getting ticked off? Then, in fact, the psychologists have kind of a, uh, uh, a perspective of that the psychologist should keep a student or keep a client long enough for the client to figure out what the problem is by themselves because, and the teacher can give hints. But if the teacher actually teaches, uh, or the psychologist actually te- gives the, the client the lowdown, if the client agrees with that, he'll say, thank you very much, that was my problem and I'm out of here, I, besides you're too expensive. And if the client uh, hears information that he does not like and disagrees with, he'll say, oh, this psychologist doesn't know what he's talking about. I'm out of here. And so that's the time then that the the students will leave the teacher is at the point of time when the teacher is actually doing his job of pointing out what the problems are. And a lot of psychologists won't do that. 
they they know exactly within their context, within their frame of reference of psychology and psychotherapy and all of that, they know exactly what's wrong with this guy and exactly what he needs to do to come out of it. But they dare not tell him that for fear of losing him as a client. Does that help answer your um, question, Robert? It does. And I have a couple of follow-ups. The one is, what are your thoughts on... CBT and DBT, you know, cognitive behavioral therapy and dialectical behavioral therapy, because they seem actually rather similar to focusing on specific behaviors and patterns of thought and changing them. And they've been shown, they've shown a lot of clinical efficacy. So I'm curious to hear your thoughts on that. I'm actually not an expert on the newer uh, labels and things that are putting in. I assume that a lot of this stuff like cognitive, cognitive behavioral therapy is going uh, from one method of uh, psychotherapy like Skinner's uh, behavioralism uh, 